coming up on This Week in Radio Tech. Noah Chalaya is our guest. Noah is one of these young guys that started in IT, and he's moved into radio, so he's got some things to tell old folks like me. And Chris Tars along with us, too. we got a good episode of Twerk. You're going to learn something coming up next. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Broadcasters General Store with outstanding service, savings, and support online at bgs.cc. By Broadcast Bionics with the Bionic Studio, including talk show control, social media, and visual radio. Broadcast Bionics brings exceptional audience engagement to radio and TV. By Angry Audio. Audio problems disappear when you get angry at angryaudio.com. By Nautel, worry-free transmission you can count on with outstanding control, reliability, efficiencies, and Nautel's unmatched 24-7 customer support. Online at Nautel.com. And by MaxConnect Wireless, prioritized high-speed internet service designed for transmitter sites and remote broadcasts. Hey, welcome into This Week in Radio Tech, the show where we talk about everything from uh, the microphone to the light bulb at the top of the tower. I don't have one of those. I'm in a hotel room. Hey, glad you're with us. I'm Kirk Harnack in Nashville. Uh, Nashville. What am I saying? Gosh, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, that's why I'm not in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been here all week for some uh, big, very important meetings at the Telos Alliance with some very important people. and It's been some good meetings. Really, really appreciate uh, my colleagues at Telos uh, putting together some some terrific informational meetings, organizational and, and uh We've had dealers from all over the world come in and, and give their ideas on things. So anyway, that's why I'm here at uh, at a hotel in downtown Cleveland, getting ready to go out to eat at a German restaurant. So that's coming up for me. Well, how about you? In fact, let's check in with uh, Chris Tarr. Chris Tarr, how about you? What's going on in your life, buddy? Well, you know, in a little bit, I'm waiting for my grandkids to come over. So I think I'm going to have a more fun night than you, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> been busy. Uh, I actually... Uh, crisscrossed a good chunk of the state yesterday. I went to our uh, our market in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and then over to La Crosse, then over the river to Minnesota, and then back home all in one day. So about 11 hours worth of driving, but I got a lot done, so that's good. Uh, oh, wow. My boss, actually, bless him, I was talking to him on the phone last night. He's like, ah, sleep in tomorrow. So I did, and so here we are. Oh, good, good. Well, uh Chris, our guest is somebody who you know. We'll introduce him first, and then later on we'll get into you know how you guys already know each other. You probably you know that at the bottom of a tower or something like that. It's Noah Noah Chalaya. Hey Noah, welcome in. Good to see you. Hey Kirk, thanks for having me. It's delightful to have you here. You know, uh, Chris, you know who put uh, me on to Noah? Well, I had talked to Noah a couple times in the past. We had chatted some on uh, Facebook Messenger. And Noah, a couple times, like five years ago, it kind of kept me up on on what he was uh, doing uh, engineering-wise. But John Bissett wrote me an email last week and said, Kirk, you really ought to talk to Noah. This is a good engineer. He's up and coming, and, and, and he, he, he loves modern technology, and uh, you ought to have him on the show. And so I thought, yeah, actually, <laughs> yesterday, last night, I'm sitting at the desk here writing some emails, and I, and I think, who am I going to have on the show tomorrow? And uh, I thought, hey. Why not? How about Noah? He might be pretty cool. No, you're absolutely right. In fact, I remember when I first uh, when I first met Noah, I first started talking to him. Even then, he was kind of just a he was a little baby, and uh, I knew he was going to be doing some big things. He's a he's a smart kid, so actually not kid anymore. But um, yeah, so it's it's real good to get caught up on what he's doing these days. I know he's been super super busy. We've we've just so we've just spent a minute talking about Noah. Now let's get to this, let's ask Noah. Noah, who are you and what do you do, buddy? 
Yeah. So I, my, I have, my background is in IT. I've, I've worked at an IT company where we specialize in open source and Linux technology. Um, and I've, I've done that for the last 12 or so years and recently moved into radio. So I got my foot in the door doing uh, broadcast engineering, kind of helping out on the side with the goal of moving into a full-time talk show, which uh, landed last October. And so now I'm able to host nine to noon on, uh, on the local talk station and enjoying that as well as still helping out engineering on the side and then doing my uh, my personal podcast so we have a lot to talk about including uh noah you, your title that we have for you is you're the president of a company called altaspeed tell us about that endeavor what does altaspeed do yeah so altaspeed technology was founded in 2009 and the idea was a different way to serve IT needs. So if we found that we could leverage Linux and open source technologies and bring that into businesses and people that were looking for solutions, and if they had a support infrastructure and they had some people to come alongside them and kind of help them smooth out the rough edges, they were able to take some of those solutions and provide them in a way that provides technological freedom. So they're not beholden to a company, they're not beholden to a software license, they're not beholden to having to pay some sort of ongoing fee. They can own the tech technology and they can leverage it to its full potential. And so that's what we've been doing for the last 10 plus years for people and it and it seemed to resonate. And so then in 2017, we said, why don't we take this and serve the other people that are serving IT communities? And so we started a, a podcast that went out and was actually carried here on a, a local FM station. And the idea there is we answer tech questions about Linux and open source related technologies. And so the Ask No Show has been running now for I guess five, six years. And it's been it's been a blast. It's been really fun. And as it relates to Twert, it's all being done with audio over IP. Oh, okay. So that's going to be a topic for us, how you uh, came to find out about and learn about AOIP. So, I, okay. So I, you know, before right now, uh, Noah, I really didn't know for sure what you did. I didn't know what AltaSpeed was. And, and I thought, uh, you're one of these geeky computer guys that understands what's going on deep inside huh yes guilty as charged i love to i love to you know is the way i would describe it is when when i was a kid and i grew up i would go into radio shack and i would go get you know a, a triple five circuit and i would go get some capacitors and a battery and a switch and, and some different things and i would yeah. get home and it's what could i create with this what can i do with this and i watch today as kids go into you know a big box store and they say what can technology do for me they just want it delivered to them on a platter and it's no longer about taking and leveraging technology it's about just using it and so tried to do my best to connect people with this idea of technology can be explored and there's a bunch of really fun things that you can do when you're willing to internalize it and play with it Cool. We're going to hear more about that, your travels into AOIP, and why you and Chris Tarr know each other. That's coming up. Our show is brought to you in part by Nautel, and it's time for me to remind you that, hey, Nautel's got their Transmission Talk Tuesday starting up all over again uh, with three new episodes in this month, in February. In fact, the next episode is this coming Tuesday. That's February 14th. Yeah, I know. It's Valentine's Day, but uh, it's coming up. Let me uh, look and see what's going on for this this coming Tuesday. Uh, February 14th, Smith Charts, something called MER, and more with guest Stephen Lockwood. If you've never met or heard Stephen Lockwood talk, you need to be part of this roundtable discussion. Stephen is, first of all, he's just a terrific gentleman and uh, a family guy, but he's just brilliant in terms of RF engineering. And uh, uh, he's going to be the guest 
with Jeff Welton on the uh, February 14th edition of the Transmission Talk Tuesday from Nautel. Coming up, we got two more after that uh, Transmission Talk Tuesdays, February 21st. We're talking about spectrum analyzers. And on February 28th, thermal imaging devices with Gary Cavell of Mertz and Associates. But if you want to go register, go to nautel.com slash webinars and then click on Transmission Talk Tuesday and get yourself registered. It's really easy to. Uh, you do get a reminder email the day before and one more reminder email an hour before. So it doesn't pester you, but boy, it sure does remind you, hey, hey, you know, an hour from now, you need to uh, jump in on, on this on this uh, this meeting. Uh, I'm going to be there, so I hope you will be too this coming Tuesday for Stephen Lockwood. I would not miss it. Thanks a lot, Nautel, for sponsoring This Week in Radio Tech. All right, Chris Tarr is along here. I'm Kirk Harnack from a hotel room in Cleveland, Ohio. Chris is in Muckwanago, Wisconsin. And Noah, where are you, sir? Grand Forks, North Dakota. Aha. Is it cold there? It is cold there. Cold? Yes. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. The, the, I think it was last week, the week before, we were like in the negative 30s, negative 40s. So it was not good. Air hurt your face. Jiminy. All right. How did you two meet, Chris? Noah, what's up with that? Uh, so, I mean, this is probably years ago on Facebook, I think. And uh, I was really impressed by, and you can even see it now, Noah's enthusiasm uh, for IT. And I, when I met him, he was first starting to want to get into the broadcast engineering side. And uh, he was in, in uh, SBE. We mentored. Uh, he was my mentee for a little bit. and uh, But I've just I've met him a couple times. I think we met at WBA at one point, too, I think. Yeah. And I've just, I mean, Noah has just this amazing uh, uh, personality and just kind of this attitude towards learning and, and, and tackling everything. I mean, you look at just what he's saying now with, well, I want to do a podcast. So I jumped in and I figured out a way to get myself in on the air and, I, you know, learning that I wanted to do engineering stuff and with the IT stuff, um, just a very dynamic guy. So, um, you know, over the years, you know, he and I have just, you know, uh, run into each other in various things every once in a while I'll get a, a message from him asking a question or something and um you know i know he's in my rolodex of people smarter than me with linux stuff so uh you know yeah that's that's just kind of um again just proving you know he i think he reached out to me originally about something i had said and i was just so impressed with just the way he you know sought out that information that education he's one of those guys who isn't afraid to ask a question you know some people go well, i don't want to admit you know, that I don't know something about something, but he was all in and just, you know, peppered me some questions about some stuff. And I was just really impressed by that. And, you know, over the years, I've kind of watched him go step by step by step by step. So uh, that's really, yeah, it's kind of our history together. No, that, that sounds pretty suspicious. No, but you and, and well, Chris was kind of a mentor to you. And so was that an official mentor mentee relationship with SBE? Yeah. Yeah. It was through SBE. And I actually, so I think, oh, okay. Uh, I might be wrong about this, but I think all three of us met for the first time at, at, at the Wisconsin Broadcasters. Yeah. Yep. And so, and I, and I think we got into, I think that was really my introduction into AOIP and I was looking at some different things and I wasn't quite sure. And then after spending a few hours around you guys, I, I went, okay, this is something I need to explore further. So uh, well, let's talk about AOIP because, you know, there hmm. are plenty of, of uh, broadcasters using AOIP, plenty who are not yet. Some, you know, hey, we just had a discussion a couple of days ago where, you know, there's there are engineers and I get it. I, I'm not I don't blame them. They say, hey, look, 
I'm four years from retirement. I'm really not interested in learning how to put my whole radio stations on computer networks. I'm really happy with the analog or the AES 67 that I've got now. And I'm just, I'm not going to, not going to do it. Noah, you're a little younger and you came up through IT, but now you're into, into broadcasting. What are your thoughts, Noah, as a guy from the IT world, how did AOIP start to fit into your mind? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. So I, first of all, I would say I can't argue with the, with the idea of if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Right. And so if you have a sure. way to do something and it works for you, I mean, more power to you. My background being in IT meant that I understood IP networks and I understood how to get things connected. If I can get something to have an IP address, that was beneficial to me and playing kind of in the Linux and open source world, it wasn't AOIP insofar as it was this really defined standard that everybody was using, but there have been ways for a long time to use Pulse and also and those kinds of things to connect remotely. And so I always kind of played with that on the periphery. And in 2017, when I went to launch Ask No, I said, so I want to go do this podcast and I want to, I want to go serve the IT community. But the problem is my day job is IT consulting. So I can't tell a client like, hey, I realize that your network's down and I realize that you're losing money, but I have to go do my podcast. So I that isn't going to work, right? And so I needed a way that I could build a studio that I could control from anywhere in the world, that I could access from anywhere in the world, and that I could reliably get audio out on time and, and audio delivered to the FM station that was carrying me. And so I, I started to look into traditional audio mixers, and I went through you know, the Yamahas and the Behringers of the world. And the more that I dug into it, the more that I realized the biggest problem I was coming up against was mix minuses because in the podcasting realm, my the show content is largely based on bringing guests in. So how do you do that in a way where I can bring each guest in and everybody has a different setup, right? It would be awesome if everybody had a studio and you could count on, you know, normalized audio getting to you, but you can't. And so some people have, they're doing it off of their laptop mic and other people have a studio and then others yet have different ways that they want to communicate. Some want to do Zoom and some want to do Jitsi and some. And so I was trying to find a way that I could bring all of these people in on different faders but and have some control over the audio. And again, being able to do that remotely from anywhere. And as I stepped through all of these options, I started coming up with all of these weird hacky feeling solutions, right? Like, can you take a mixer and can you feed an aux bus and get a different mixer so that I can get additional mix minuses? And none of them were really great. And when I met you gentlemen at Wisconsin Broadcasters Conference and I started talking about some of these challenges, he said, you know, the really great thing about AOIP is you can buy a system that will generate a mix minus on every fader. And I had to sit with that for a little bit. I thought, now, how exactly is that going to work in the way of how many physical inputs and how many physical outputs I needed? And then it kind of clicked. Oh, wait a minute. It's an IP address, meaning that if I want more inputs or outputs, I'll just buy more devices and assign more IP addresses. And it turns out it's a really scalable way to do things. And if you compare the actual cost of coming in and physically wiring a studio and putting all the wiring in the building that you need, and then buying all of the equipment and all the other little gadgets that you have to have to get the audio in and out. So if we remember, we're taking audio in and out of a computer. So my choices there are things like, you know, Henry has the little USB audio interface. That's 500 bucks. Audio Science makes great stuff, but again, it comes with a price tag. And so by the time I got done adding it up, every time I'd get to the bottom of the balance sheet, I'd look over and I would say, but I could go buy this audio over IP system for this. 
And really, the diff, the price difference just wasn't that much. And so I, in, I invested in my first audio IP system, little eight fader unit, and started using it. And it was flawless. I had no problems. I took your advice on the audio network is treated like a utility. I didn't treat it like a normal network. I bought the switches that were recommended by the manufacturer. I set them up the way that they, uh, you know, s- suggested I did. And as far nobody would know was that there isn't analog or AES audio running through the studio. You just wouldn't know because it doesn't feel like it. It just works every time, all the time. And so then I started adding audio nodes to add more to the audio network so I could get I could access more sources and started to do some crazy stuff and thought, oh, this is really working well. And so over time, it was able to build out a system where We've got a number of different audio codecs for getting remote guests in, as well as computers with all of the various platforms that people want to use. And we're able to do a dynamic show from anywhere in the world, being able to control it from anywhere in the world. I say all the time, I can do it from anywhere. I just need a good internet connection. Um, And that was really kind of my entrance into it. Then as time progressed with uh, my time with latent broadcasting and having some time to go in there and do some engineering and kind of seeing how uh, a larger station that has, you know, a, a, a significant budget is able to to put forward and, and get some of those solutions into place. I was able to kind of refine the process and, 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 and continue to build and iterate on it. And then seeing how different manufacturers put together different AOIP systems, it was, it was, I was happy because it showed me how similar they really are underneath the hood and how you can really accomplish the same thing no matter what system you're going with but the amount the, the flexibility that you get um and the reliability that you get from aoip has made me a has made me a, a believer for sure well you know what's interesting is you mentioned ip addresses and how um you know if it's got an ip address you're comfortable with it i'm kind of that same it, you know, I tell people I kind of grew up half and half. You know, my first couple of jobs were with 66 punch blocks and analog wiring, and now I almost deal exclusively with audio over IP. But what's really fascinating is that there are I call them the gearheads that have kind of taken apart the the protocols and the and the information. Uh, and and Telus actually has a couple of great white papers, and we were able to at one point reverse engineer how the live wire routing works and create a script for our automation playback to automatically do audio routing based on closures. And that was okay. just something that we were able to script with PowerShell. When an event happens at our automation, it sends a PowerShell script, which changes audio routes. So now instead of having you know, a broadcast tool switcher during a game, uh, you know, we just have the node switch audio on and off. But that was that thing mm-hmm. where I, we, you know, we sat down and we went, well, this thing's addressable. Um, let's figure this out. You know, let's let's uh, let's figure out how to make this talk. And that mm-hmm. is, it's one of the great things about audio over, audio over IP. Uh, no, you you said that. Well, not only can you do a show, you know, from anywhere, but you also have a, uh, control from almost anywhere. And I tell you what, after we take an, another break, I'd like you and Chris to talk about this. Uh, I bring this up all the time in in that. I live in Nashville, but I'm part owner of about 10 radio stations in Mississippi and Arkansas, and I, I can't drive there all the time. I can't be there all the time. Uh, but if they need something done, there's probably, no matter what it is, I realize if it's transmitters, no, I can't, I can't go change that or you know patch around some RF cabling. But mm-hmm. so much of what they need to change is in studios, and we can take, I can take care of it remotely. I just established... Uh, and I and, and uh, a streaming STL at a very high bit rate, uh, so that now we're actually simulcasting two stations that used to just kind of run in parallel. 
but we wanted mm-hmm. to save some money and the imaging was fine on both of them. So now we have a simulcast going on that, frankly, I set up remotely in 30, 35 minutes or so. And, and we have high quality audio now on a simulcast station. Now, we, yeah, we already had a lot of stuff in place to help make that happen, but we weren't doing it before. And within 30, 35 minutes, I had, I had it going. But we'll get, we'll get to that. Hey, well, we're talking to Noah Chalaya and Chris Tarr is here as well on This Week in Radio Tech. I'm Kirk Harnack. And I got to tell you, today I got to spend some time with uh, Dan McQuillan. He is the founder of Broadcast Bionics. Dan has got some amazing things to, coming up uh, at NAB. And we're going to be talking with Dan. He's going to be our, our guest on an upcoming show in the month of March. He's got to do a quick tour of Australia. When he gets done with that, he's going to be our guest on This Week in Radio Tech. And he's got some amazing news about virtualizing some of your broadcast infrastructure and doing it so super easy. Even I can do it. I mean, Noah could do it with both hands tied behind his back now. And, uh, you know, but I can get it done. So that's, that's coming up with Dan McQuillan. But our show is brought to you in part by Dan's company, Broadcast Bionics. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Bionic Studio. The Bionic Studio brings all audience interaction to the fingertips of a production team in radio, TV, and podcast. Our workflow-led system is working 24-7 around the world for small broadcasters and national and international networks. Our telephony module, Bionic Talk Show, allows cost-effective centralization, remote operation, scalability, and resilience across an entire network of stations, but at the same time is used in single-studio self-op environments. Social media curation and activity is now considered a broadcast-critical part of programming. Bionic Social means the studio isn't overwhelmed with a wall of interaction from an ever-growing number of social platforms. We combine SMS, MMS and email together with a speech-to-text service for listeners using smart speakers. We enable studio teams to curate, filter and display all platforms in one place and post text, images and video content to multiple platforms in one operation. Effortless collection of video content with Bionic Director has helped position some of the world's most successful stations as leaders in viral content, generating appointments to listen and free marketing via retweets and shares. Bionic Contest enables end-to-end tracking of on-air competitions, live reads and prizes. These could be on-air contests, automated SMS entry or online. Anywhere and Skype TX for Radio brings high quality audio and video contribution into the studio with ease. No need for dedicated PCs to run different applications. Everything is controlled within the Bionic Studio UI. And incoming connections are visible to users along with all other platforms. Our codec integration enables connection, algorithm configuration and directory to a wide range of IP and ISDN codecs. The Bionic Studio, a unique suite of products designed to enable your talent to work smarter. And a big thanks to Broadcast Bionics for the Bionic Studio and all the other things they make, including this product called Virtual Rack. Now, that's not, a, that's not an exclusive there. They, they've actually shown Virtual Rack in some other environments, uh, but you're going to see it coming up at the NAB show where Dan McQuillan will show it off, and he'll show it to us here on This Week in Radio Tech coming up in March. All right, thanks a lot, Broadcast Bionics, for sponsoring This Week in Radio Tech. Check them out. Chris Tarr is here, and Noah Chalaya is here as well. Noah, uh, I just uh, pontificated a bit on remote 
fixing things. And you're in computers, so you remote fix things all the time. And mm-hmm. I know Chris does too. Chris, you've got a huge state that you travel across. And, you know, when you don't have to drive 11 hours in a day, you can fix things remotely. Uh, Noah, give us your thoughts on, on re- remote work thanks to the Magic 5. Yeah, so this question would have been a lot different three years ago, four years ago than it is today, right? Four years ago, you would walk in and you would sell people things and, you know, set it all up. And tech guys want to do their job from anywhere, largely because we can, right? And so I'm working off of my laptop anyway. Why wouldn't I want to do it on my big screens in my comfortable environment sort of a deal? After 2019, after 2020-ish, you had all of these companies coming in saying, hey, remember that remote worker VPN package you two were talking about? We said we weren't interested. Can we get it by Friday? You know, that the, the culture just shifted. And all of a sudden, lots of people were, were willing and able to do their job remotely. And the good side of that is it became not only very uh, acceptable to employers and stuff, but you also saw an explosion in the way of technology to allow people to do remote work. And so one of the things that I appreciate about audio over IP is because if we think about it, really what we're talking about when we talk about a mix engine, right? We're talking about a computer that's running software. And so what's exciting about that to me is I have been remoting into computers for 15 years. So this is nothing new. And with depending on the brand, you can get audio over IP engines that just have a web interface. And so you log into an HTML5 interface and you have the ability to do everything you'd be able to do on a traditional control surface. Um, But you can do it from anywhere. In fact, I saw I can't remember what one of the broadcasting groups, Facebook, somewhere in there. And there was a guy and he was sitting on his living room couch and he was remote uh, board opping like a state of the union address or something like that. And he said, if you would have told me I could do this from my couch five years ago or six years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. But there he sits with a tablet and a touchscreen interface and doing a board up from his from his house because you can't. And with VPN technology combined with the ability to control all of these devices from their embedded web pages, it makes it really easy to do things remotely. And that's part of what excites me about what I think the next generation of audio over IP things are in the way of containerizing all of this. So we're going to take all of that software that was built to run on these purpose-built devices, and now we're going to make it so you can run it on any device. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, and we'll get we'll jump into that in a minute. Chris, uh, yeah, remote working across the state. I know, yeah, I do a few little things and I brag about them, but I know you take care of a ton of stuff remotely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Noah's right with the explosion of, uh, you know, the work from home movement and that kind of thing. Not only is the technology become more available, but it's become more accepted. And, you know, a lot of time, you know, if I would have brought up to some of my coworkers five years ago that this is how we're going to do things, they would have told me I'm nuts. And now, you know, we're looking at especially in radio, you know, voice trackers would come in and they'd come into the, the, the office to voice track. Salespeople who are normally on the road would come in to write up orders. None of that's really necessary anymore. Um, you know, we do have a few live, you know, shows that they still come in and they, they do their work. But most everybody works from home now. And not only that, but in my situation, uh, exa- you know, my precise situation, I'm responsible for you know, 25 full power and 15 more low power stations across the state in several different markets. And all of them had individual islands of, of IT. You know, they each had like a cable modem and, a, you know, so when I came in, I got fiber into all the buildings. I built a VPN uh, between all of the networks. Um, 
you know, not only the, the market to market VPN, but then the VPN clients for the users to get, to get in. But then you got to start thinking about like out of band access, you know, what happens if something goes down and, and actually that happened the other day where I needed to use out of band access to, to fix something. So you really start to think about those things as you know, you take it a lot more seriously because uh, as you mentioned, it's, it's four hours for me to get to Eau Claire to do something. So, you know, I really want to be able to set that up so that I really, really only have to do that if it's really, you know, really necessary. And, but, but on the same token, it gets the, the technology gets more and more complex. For example, in that market, um, we're using uh, ubiquity five gigahertz radios, and uh, VLANing to send LiveWire and the Office Network over the IP link. So all of a sudden that becomes more complicated and the switches become more complicated and the network topology becomes more complicated. So, you know, then it, do it does become a, a lot more important where, you know, again, out of band access, um, you know, the ability to remotely reboot things, um, you know, even just having boots on the ground. I made a really, I made really good friends with the next door neighbor of the studio up in Eau Claire, you know, bought him a couple of pizzas and some beer. And now if I need something that I can't get to that I need to see, you know, I just call him up. He just walks across the, you know, the driveway and, and he's got a set of keys and he goes in and, and takes a look for me. So it has become, you know, the actual running of audio has become much easier. I can route anything from any of our stations to any of the other stations in seconds. But the, the price for that is the complexity has gotten much higher. You know, in the old days, when you punched a 66 block, that punch stayed there forever. It wasn't going anywhere. Um, you know, you could have a storm and it's not going to, you know, cause the thing to reboot. Uh, you know, and now you've got, you know, those sorts of issues where even things like UPSs and facility grounding and generators and, you know, all of these things you have to stay cooling. You know, cooling is a big one. Um, you have to start thinking like an IT guy more than an engineer and think about how, you know, server set, you know, server centers work and our data centers. And then that all leads into we're now using AWS for some things. So, you know, there's a whole other layer of, of interfacing and, and that sort of thing with with AWS and our, our playoff system. So, um, you know, Noah's right. It's It's exciting. And it's certainly I can see why people who are on the cusp of retirement um, you know, may just kind of go, I'm going to tap out here because it is an entirely different world. But for those of us who really get energized by the possibilities, this is a lot of fun. It's, it's uncharted territory, especially for radio. So, you know, it's been a lot of fun to have to, 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 to learn about this and to start integrating it into our current systems. I, you know, I think it, it may be a good point here to go ahead and pivot to the world of virtualization. Now, Noah, I, I noticed that in your camera shot, uh, when we take you full screen, you can see a little bit of, of an Axia uh, small audio console. I guess it's probably the, the radius. Is it a radius or IQ? Yes, radius. Okay, and, and I've, got a, I've got a bunch of those too. And it's got a little engine that's running down uh, probably in the rack somewhere uh, and a mm -hmm. CAN bus cable between. Uh, but the engine that's running, that's running Linux. And there's... Uh, uh, you know, so a certain amount of analog and AES I/O there, but there's also live wire uh, I/O, and there's then there's the actual mixing functions and mic processing is built in. You got some dynamics built into that, and that's all running in, in Linux. And if it runs in Linux on a little computer in the rack, it can probably run in something maybe bigger that would run more of them. 
And that's what I've been talking about, you know, virtualization for such a long time. Uh, and we, uh, some people in, in broadcasting and, and IT, they're familiar with virtual machines. We kind of have had virtual machines around for probably the last 15 or 18 years or so since we started getting a lot of multi-core processors that can do a lot with that. Uh, but let's, let's kind of leapfrog into the world of, of containers. You're in the world of, of Linux and servers, and you probably knew about containers before people, uh, manufacturers in the broadcast industry started talking about them. Kind of give us your, from an IT perspective, your introduction. What should we know about containers, that, that format of computing, before we jump into doing audio in containers? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So the idea of containers was, we all remember if we've worked in, whether it's broadcast engineering or, or IT, we've all dealt with the system to where you had a specific operating system requirement. And so you had everything set up and you tested it and it all worked and you told your boss and everything was fine. And then something updated. And when something updated, it had an unintended consequence and broke something else. And then you had to go through and you had to fix it and you were trying to figure out what happened and why didn't this thing work with that thing. and it be, it became quite frankly a mess and so the when when people sat down they said okay how can we fix this problem everybody's running a different version on on the server well maybe the idea is to have everybody run a stable version of the server and so then we tried that for a while in the industry everybody stick with this okay are we all ready to change that we made these huge leaps well the problem with that model is you had things like heartbleed where you'd have a vulnerability that came out nobody was patching because we were all trying to stay on the stable train we didn't want to rock the boat until we were all ready so that really wasn't a great model either well it turns out We've fixed this problem conceptually a long time ago. We have ships and they come across the ocean transporting everything from tiny little bars of soap all the way up to, you know, car engines. And we standardize the way that we pack things onto those ships by putting them in shipping containers. And that enables a boat to be able to, we can stack these known quantities of known dimensions up and then we can load them onto semis and do all the things that we do with shipping containers. So we thought, why not do that in the IT world? Why don't we take everything you need to run a particular thing and have the, the, the very basic of the operating system running and have all of the software components run into this nice little container and then let it access directly the kernel and the you know, this underlying system that just kind of runs here. So this becomes your, your stable system and then all of these containers run on top. And it turns out that's a really fantastic way to ship software. And so it has unsurprisingly just taken over the IT industry. Everything is running on containers. A lot of people don't know. If you go to Google mm. and you initiate a Google search, your what Google server is doing on the back end is spinning up a container, running your search, and then killing it. And so it's this idea we can start to treat things wow. like cattle instead of pets, right? I don't care about it. It's not, there's nothing valuable about it. I'm going to spin it up. I'm going to use it. I'm going to throw it away and I'm going to start over. And because there is this odd stability in starting from scratch every time we know all of the known quantities it works every time so now we start to get into broadcast what i'm super excited i've not really had a chance to play with this i'm just i'm just now learning about it but what i'm really excited about is you're able to take this broadcast reliable technology that up until this point has been built into boxes and sold by manufacturers now we can take that exact same technology and because of the magic of containers we can run it on 
any kind of hardware. And so in, in, in Chris's case, he might be looking to run it on AWS and you can run it in the cloud. And now you can have all of these people and get all of your audio uh, running up into the cloud and then send it wherever you want to go. Um, and you have this nice, stable internet connection with abundance of backups and the power is all handled for you. It's just a really nice, clean way to get this up and running. In my case, I take a slightly different approach insofar as I'm looking for self-hosting. Again, I come back to that idea of I want to own the technology. I want to have it. I want to own it. And I don't want to have to rely on anything or anyone to include an internet connection. And so what I like about the idea of containers is now I have the opportunity to spin up a studio anywhere I need it. Because if I can run a Docker container and I can do that on my laptop, I can do it on a virtual machine, I can do it on a server, I can do it on a dedicated uh, you know, box, but anywhere you need to be able to mix audio, you can do that. And so to the people that would say, hey, you know, I'm, I, I really want to stick with analog only. That's just the way to go. It's not a perfect solution, right? You have interference. You have some of those things that are solved with audio over IP. So if we take that one step further, if we trust our mix engines and we trust audio IP over IP in our studios when it, it's designed on hardware, why then wouldn't we trust the same software running in a container produced by the same manufacturer that makes the box, but now you can run it on any piece of hardware. We can do that reliably because the container standardizes the process in which the software is running on. And even better, if there is a problem that develops, it's really easy to power it down and spin it from scratch. So, yes, exactly. you know, you start, you start from zero. And, yes. you know, we've been doing that a long time in virtualization with Windows with clients where you have, you know, the server and you spin up a, basically a thin client and that computer is new every time you use it. And it basically mm -hmm. loads in the the uh, you know the software that you're going to use. One of the other things about containers is they're movable. So, you know, people think of oh yeah, you know, it's you got to buy specific hardware and then it's you 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 have to think of a container as you know yes it's a piece of software but really it's a self-contained system. And so you take this container, you place it on whatever ship you want to put it on, and spin it up, and you're good to go. And and again, if anything happens ransomware, you know, whatever, and, and something gets, uh, gets affected by that, just kill it, delete it, run the, run a new, you know, rerun the container from, from point zero and you're back in business. So, uh, and, and they run anywhere, as you mentioned, you can own the hardware, you can run on AWS, um, you know, there's really no limit to, to how you want, you know, how you can do that. And it loans itself to that. As you mentioned, audio over IP is just IP and IP can run anywhere. So, and we're to the point now where, you know, the 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 playback machines are that way, um, you know, the playout machines. I know there are a couple of, of companies now with their automation systems that are running on the cloud or container. Um, and even even early on, Wide Orbit was doing uh, containerized with their virtual servers. And they're, they're doing it again now with uh, their new radio server product. So, you know, it just makes a lot of sense in our industry, especially now where you know there aren't people around uh in the in the building to do anything and and with the way that it has changed in terms of um you know bad actors and things like that there's actually i sleep better with containers than i do with yeah. the old systems of of you know regular hardware sitting around uh noah you said something that I, i'd like you to expand on just a little bit because you used mm -hmm. a phrase that one of my colleagues at telos alliance jake alderman what a really sharp guy. He talked to us for about an hour and a half today in our meetings. And you used a phrase, you said, cattle, not pets. And uh, Jake explained to me what that means in, uh, in a webinar that he and I did together six months ago. But tell me what you mean by 
cattle, not pets. Yeah, so there's a there is a there's an almost uncanny expectation of turning it off, turning it back on fixes it, right? And it shouldn't be as effective as it is, really, if I'm honest, right? It's kind of weird. But the, the reason for that is, is because we're starting from a point of stability. The software developer knew when they wrote the code what was going to happen when the machine came on. And so we've tracked all the variables. The longer that machine runs, the more changes that happen, the more variables we introduce into the system. And so one of the things that Companies like, and it's not, you know, I didn't figure this out. I don't think even your colleague figured this out. It's, you know, much smarter people than us ha have, have developed this stuff. But people at like large companies, Google, Amazon, so on and so forth, they looked at this and they say, okay, we have a machine. We know what we want it to do. We know how to build it from scratch. So when there's a problem, we're not going to we're not going to troubleshoot it. We're not going to diagnose it. We're not going to figure out why that happened. We're just going to destroy it. And we're going to spin it up from scratch. And that, and, and so it, we, we, for a long time in the IT industry, we would tweak machines, right? We would get everything dialed just in the way we want it, and we'd make all the changes and apply all the updates and get just get everything dialed in. And doing that is incredibly time consuming. It also is very difficult to automate. And so it's very expensive. Both of those things turn into a large expense. That's what I mean when I say treating it like a pet. It's this carefully curated, one special snowflake, one-off thing that you have to carefully curate. And you know, nobody wants to touch it. Nobody wants to mess with it because, oh gosh, what happens if it breaks or what happens if... And so we treat it like this delicate little pet. If we change our model to this idea of cattle, what, like Chris was saying, you shoot it in the head and start over. And it's just that the, whatever it is that was problematic, it, it's dead. And we just start from scratch and spin up a new one from, from a point of stability, something that we know works. Now we're treating it like cattle. One, we lost one, we brought a new one up. We lost another one, we brought a new one up. That can be automated, which makes it more cost effective. And it makes troubleshooting really, really, really easy. Because again, we can kind of rely on automation to say, hey, when we see this thing fail, have automation kick off, kill this, bring up a new one, and we're back in action. Now we can start to skate ahead of the problem. We can get to a point where we're predicting where problems are going to be, or we're addressing problems as they come up, and we're automatically applying solutions to those problems. Yeah, and you know, you know we're not even we're we're not even at the at the point we're not that automated yet, but we're close with our with our playout systems. Mm -hmm. We don't fix them. We when they die, we have a we have computers that we have a very curated load of windows that we know works perfectly, that we know has no issues and will run forever, and mm -hmm. we have that on hardware that is a known issue to us. That we we source the parts. We build them, we have a stockpile of them. And when a computer dies, when an automation system dies, we bring it in, we have AWS has our image up there that we need, it downloads, it runs. And we don't, you know, literally, if, if anything gets messed up on an automation system, it's just gone. We don't we mm -hmm. don't mess with it. We just and we start from zero. And it's really easy for us to to, you know, we can have these automation systems back on the air in an hour. You know, I mean it's just it's really simple. And you know, we, we'll get to the point where it'll be automated, but we, we have a combination of hardware and software that will run literally over a year without a reboot, you know, with our, with our automation system. So that's mm -hmm. what we use and it works. And you're right. We just, boom, it's gone. And, you know, we either reuse the parts or, you know, and it becomes a, a you know, a, a load for the next time. So that's really where we need to get for sure in this business. I I'm so glad you brought that up, Chris. That's that's a that's a great practice to have, and the fact that containers can do that instantly and manageable. But you're doing it, you know, even with in Windows environments. Um, one other thing that we learned today is that when when you learn about 
for example, becoming uh, an Amazon Web Services practitioner. And these people, I mean, they're, they're running so much of the things that we use every day uh, in, in our lives. And they've got you know data centers everywhere and so much backup is available. But they, they don't talk in terms of, well, if this fails, then here's our plan to get you back on. No, it's when this fails, we will do this and you will be back on. Exactly. And of course, all different, all different levels of, of that you can pay for. Uh, but just it's it, it's a different world than what we've been, we've been thinking because they know, you know hardware fails and you know at its heart they're running hardware which on which is running software but when something fails with so, if software locks up if the hardware fails if a hard drive fails they got to replace it and they just know it's going to fail but when it fails here's what happens it happens in you know two microseconds or four milliseconds or you know two minutes we, you, you pay for kind of what what you want. Hey, we, we got to take a quick break. Uh, we're, we're talking to Noah Chalaya and Chris Tarr. I'm loving this conversation. Uh, it's, it's IT intersecting with broadcast. And I know we're kind of all over the place, but in, in the end, we know our broadcast systems are going to end up you know, in compute platforms because they are now. They're just moving into places that are kind of, I don't know, accessible, but maybe a little more hidden or maybe 30 miles away or maybe 2,000 miles away. But they're they're just so reliable the way things are, are going. Hey, our show is brought to you in part by Broadcasters General Store. And guess what you can get at BGS? Products from Henry Engineering. Hank Landsberg. And one of the things that Hank has been actually representing for years, he found a, a diamond in the rough here. And that's the Power Clamp products. The Power Clamp line of, uh, of uh, well, lightning damage surge protections. Stay on the air with Power Clamp surge protection. Uh, Surge suppressors. Um, these power clamp TVSS units are designed specifically for broadcasters. They're ideal for installation at transmitter sites where big power surges and, of course, lightning-induced transients are a major cause of transmitter unreliability and damage. You know, power clamp units will drastically reduce trip breakers, transmitter shutdowns, and prevent or minimize damage to transmitter equipment caused by these power surges. Um, they should also be installed, of course, at your studio because you got power lines coming in there as well. Uh, those prevent power line problems from causing malfunctions and damage with, you know, of course, your audio, video equipment, computers, even you know, protecting the inputs on your UPS systems. Whether it's a large or small UPS, you don't need big spikes going in the UPS. I mean, that can kill the the very thing that's there to keep you on the air when the power fails. Uh, power clamp units are always installed in parallel with the AC feed lines. They suppress power line spikes and surges by shunting them to ground. And they don't need to be matched to the equipment they're protecting, and they don't have to uh, induce any loss on the line, of course. Now, there's two popular series, the Series 200 and the Series 80. And you can read about these on the Henry Engineering website. What I really like, though, is checking out the user testimonials. And some of these are engineers that, that you know, that we know. And now the ones that Hank has on his website here, some of them are a little bit old, but they're still absolutely uh, uh, valid today. Tom Koza, uh, I've met Tom several times in Los Angeles at K-Power. Uh, again, it's a little bit old here. He says at K-Power, our CCA transmitter would occasionally trip breakers and go off the air without any obvious cause. Tom says, I had installed a power clamp at KWVE a few years earlier when they had a similar problem, so I installed one at KPWR. The power clamp solved our KPWR problem immediately, 
And since then, I've installed power clamp units at KSCA Los Angeles and soon at KLVE in Los Angeles. He says, I've made this my SOP, standard operating procedure, to install a power clamp unit at any transmitter site that I'm responsible for. They're not snake oil, he says. They really, really work. And there's a whole series of, of uh, user testimonials. Uh, and, man, I'll tell you what, i got to get a couple of these for a couple of my transmitter sites. They are really, really helpful. And, look, they've got Hank Landsberg's seal of approval. And I, I tell you, that means something. Hank, is he's one of us. He's an engineer, and he kind of gets it. So check them out, please. The Henry Power Clamp. You go to henryeng.com and look for Power Clamp. And, of course, when you want to buy one, where do you go? Uh, well, you go to Broadcaster's General Store. And that is bgs.cc. In fact, I just spent I just spent uh, three days with uh, Shane Finch, the new general manager at BGS, and uh, Dave Kirsten was there too, and Jonathan Shute. I got to shake hands, spend some time with him, sat next to Jonathan today in uh, in a bunch of uh, set learning sessions at Telos Alliance. So check them out. Give them a call at three five two six two two seventy seven hundred at Broadcasters General Store. Thanks so much, BGS sponsoring this week in Radio Tech. Hey, it's Kirk Harnack, and I'm here with uh, Chris Tarr and our guest, Noah Chalaya. And we were just getting into talking about kind of the future of where computing is going. We've been using computers to for automation playout systems actually since probably the late 80s, although they kind of came to prominence in the in the mid-90s and late 90s. And and now the, the model for this is changing as we move into containerized software. Um, Noah, a few minutes ago, you were kind of, kind of bragging about how relatively easy it is to run containers, and um, I, my view, because I'm interfacing with the engineers at and developers at, at Telus Alliance, when you're running real-time audio and we can't miss a packet, um, not that you could in, in financial transactions either, but uh, you know what AOIP is like, that. Um, uh, you, you do need to be careful about the environment that these containers are spun up in. There are a few parameters that you got to watch out for. It can't be quite random, so to speak. Um, tell me about about the skills that uh, a, an engineer would need to start looking at to start understanding uh, containers and then containers in the broadcast area. How do I get how do I get my foot wet here? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question. So one of the great things about containers, right? You can run them on almost anything. And so if you have a Mac, you can pull a container down and you can you can start it up. If you're running a Linux distro, you can pull a container down and and start it up. And the other thing that's really nice is we we work with something called OCI compliance. And the idea is that we build all of these there's all of these different container ideas, but they all conform to a similar standard. So it doesn't matter what container technology I, I, maybe that's a bit too far. I wouldn't say it doesn't matter, but within reason, most container technologies are interoperable if they follow to that that OCI standard. And so you can you can run Docker. I think is the is kind of the go to. A lot of people has a, has a large yeah. name recognition. They were sort of first, but there's Podman and Scopio and a lot of other ones that have that have kind of come along. Um, but there are entire Linux distros that are specifically designed to run container workloads. And so you can go download some of these and install it on a spare machine. And the great thing about it is they, most of the time these, 
containers have what are known as container repositories. In other words, like almost like an app store for containers. And so you just tell it, hey, I'm looking for this particular container and it goes out and it pulls it off the internet and it starts it up. And then a few minutes later, you have that particular thing that that, that, that person built for you and it's running on your machine locally. Um, and there's, there's a number of tutorials that are out there um, that can help you get started. It, it, it largely depends on kind of what you're doing. Um, as it relates to audio over IP and latency, again, I would tell you as long as you have a, a solid network and you're following the recommendations of the manufacturers, I, you know, really, again, we're just running it on a different piece of hardware. And I would add to that, that, you know, when a, when a piece of proprietary technology fails, you're only, well, within reason, most of the time you're sending it back to the manufacturer because they're the ones that can open it up and change out the network card or whatever it was that got fried. In the case of a container, you can run it on a spare computer that you have. So maybe your studio has a, a few spare machines sitting around. You can go load it up with the, you know, copy of Alma Linux or something like that and, and spin up a container and play with it. And if, something fails inside of that machine oh you can go pull the pci network card out and put a new one in because it's you can just you can stock those things and you can have them available because it's all on commodity hardware but i i have a and, container i have a i have docker running right next to me here with a container running for uh, a program guide and some other things for streaming video and it took me all of, I think, five minutes, as you said. I downloaded Docker, typed in where the repository was and the the doc, uh, the container that I wanted. It downloaded it, started it, did a couple of configuration items, and boom, it's there. Uh, and, and the one thing I wanted to add, too, because I'm going to have to leave here shortly, but the one thing I wanted to add is I don't worry about ransomware. And the reason I don't is because thanks to containers and AWS and <clears throat> excuse me, all these other things, I could have every computer in my office locked down with ransomware. I don't care. I blow it out, start over. Um, you know, I don't even have to worry about, you know, restoring backups, anything like that. All of it is off-site, hosted through different providers or clouds or, you know, containers somewhere else. So, uh, you know, again, worst case scenario, if if every computer in my in my company gets hit, no big deal. Throw in some new hardware, reboot it, and we're back to to where we're supposed to be without having to, you know, do a whole lot of work. So, you know, that's not to say that I prevent, I don't prevent it from coming in because I do, because I'd rather not have to go through all that. (laughs) But I I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have to worry about that ever happening because if it does, no big deal. I mean, you know, uh, you know, within a day we're back in business and we really haven't lost anything. So that's another great thing about doing it that way. Chris, since you have to go here in a minute, I, I really want to uh, take advantage of you being here for a couple more minutes. Can you go ahead and uh, and talk to us a little bit about some of the uh, your, the audio processing that you've been using from uh, from Angry Audio? Is that something you can uh, chat about for just a minute? <laughs> sure, and especially since it's kind of caused a ruckus on Facebook lately. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've been rolling out the uh, Angry Audio's Chameleon. Uh, uh, chameleon processor, and uh, I, I want to say it's the yeah the C5, and what that is is it's an AGC that you can you know you can use it for any number of things, STL protection, um, that sort of thing. I use it as a preprocessor on all of my audio processors. I have I think twenty five of them now, and they have the the C3 which is headphones, C4 which is live stream, and the C level which is their um, they're on our they're on air product and of course there's also now the c5s which is coming out soon that's a software version 
but I, I have found that, uh, and when we had Corny on talking about it, it adds almost like a, an analog sound, an analog warmth to your audio. And not only that, but most audio processors have a range that they like to operate in. And the audio chameleon does a very good job of doing that without being audible. You know, you don't really hear it working. You know it's there. I mean, you can hear the difference, but you don't hear that particular box working. It's very natural sounding. Uh, so, you know, especially with older processors that don't have a real good AGC input stage, um, you know, as, as, as Catfish likes to say, it makes older, it gives new life to older audio processors. I have a couple of... Uh, of uh, 8400s on the or Optimod 8400s rather, they sound brand new. They sound fantastic with the uh, with the Camellia in front of them, and it just adds a really nice warm sound to them without being too aggressive, without you know pumping and mashing and all these other things. And uh, you know, again, if you have an STL, you want to protect your audio because if you have your audio too loud into that link. You're going to hear it. You're going to have peaks that are overloading the STL. On the same, you know, in the same respect, if you turn your audio down to prevent that from happening, now all of a sudden your audio starts to get into the noise floor. Um, another thing, if you're in a PPM market, you want to be sure to feed the PPM encoder as much audio as you can, as dense audio as you can, so that the encoding process works better, so that it has more opportunities to watermark the audio. The Chameleon will help out there as well. Because you, you're feeding your uh, your PPM encoder nice gain controlled audio, so there's a whole lot more opportunity for those watermarks to be inserted into the audio. So, yeah. I, you know, I highly recommend it, especially now. Ariane is no longer around. Um, the compeller is no longer around. Um, there are a couple other boxes, but they really aren't designed to work in front of audio processors very well. So they uh, can introduce their own problems. And most of them are single band, whereas the Chameleon is multi-band. So it really works transparently to really sweeten that audio up. So, uh, you know, if you wanted something just to protect your, your audio to the STL, if you want something a little more aggressive to maybe replace the AGC on, a, on an older processor or any processor for that matter, this is the box you need to get. It is the Audio Chameleon, and uh, the C-Level is the name of it. And you can get it. Uh, Broadcasters General Store has it. Most of your favorite vendors have them and you can check them out online for more information the c3 the c4 and the c level problems disappear when you get angry stop by and check them out at angryaudio.com chris appreciate you being here today and thanks to angry audio for sponsoring this week in radio tech and hang on as long as you can but you know i've realized you may have to go and uh, uh we have another sponsor of the show and we got a final word from from noah and i know we're about out of time usually we actually go over but today we're kind of held to uh, to our time, um, uh, and that is uh, Max Connect. You know uh, our friend Josh Bone. What a great engineer and friend to the broadcast community. By the way, I, Josh has been advertising that he's hiring. If you're an engineer, you want to work in the southeast, you ought to contact Max Connect. But right now, let's uh, hear a quick testimonial about the Max Connect wireless box. I'm Gary Morrill. Midwest Regional Director of Engineering for Alpha Media. When I first spoke with Josh Bone about Max Connect, he told me they'd work great for remote transmitter sites where connectivity was a challenge. And you know, he's absolutely right. We even have sites where we're using this as a backup to our STL using Max Connect's dual carrier option, and it works perfectly. We also have times where we need to be able to get out to a 
venue where it's kind of challenging because everybody and his brother is trying to stream video at the same time, like at a big sporting event. And you know what? Our data gets through every time because it's prioritized packet data. It works for us. It'll work for you. Max Connect. Check it out. And you know, I've used Max Connect uh, a few times on the show, and it's worked quite well for us. So check it out. Max Connect Wireless. I would appreciate very much Josh Bone sponsoring the show and making this uh, prioritized data service available to broadcast engineers like you and me so we can be heroes when we need to be. All right. Hey, uh, Noah, we just got a couple oh. minutes left or a minute left. Oh, go ahead, Chris. I was just saying, by the way, uh, a good time to mention this with Max Connect. I mentioned earlier something called out of band. And what that is, oh. is a way to manage your network without using the primary circuit so that if it goes down, you still have a way to manage your equipment. That is what's called out of band. And I use Max Connect for out of band connections. It basically is just kind of sits there. And if something happens where I can't get in through the main entry into the network, I have a back door that I can use to get in to manage the network. And that's called an out-of-band connection, and Max Connects are great for that. Oh, what a good idea. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, Noah, and, and Noah, I'm being an IT guy, I'm sure you've used out-of-band connections to go fix things when the main wasn't, wasn't working. Noah, I'm sorry, we've just got a, a minute left. If you could leave us with a tip of the week, and I, I want to have you back on the show. Uh, probably after after NAB and and uh, and and when when you get your hands on some of the audio containers uh, that uh, that my employer is is working on, tell us tell us alliance. But what would you like to leave us with uh, with a bit of wisdom? Yeah, well, going off of the whole uh, out of band or, or or backup, having a plan before you need the plan. I guess my tip of the week would be before you know you go through, you set something up, you're ready, you think everything is working, go test everything in one place in one environment before you spread all of the things out if you're building it whether that's building a studio or whether that's putting together a remote broadcast if you can put all of the components in one room and test them all there get everything configured work out all the kinks there while it's all right in front of you then you can just go lay all the pieces out plug them all in and hopefully it all just works and if not at least you have limited the amount of variables and the amount of things you have to go through and kind of tidy up sounds good sounds good thanks Chris, I appreciate you being with us. Enjoy the grandkids, will you? Absolutely will. <laughs> okay. Give them a hug for me, okay? Uncle Kirk. And Noah, thank you so much for being with us as well, especially on short notice. And we do want to have you back. Maybe sometime you come back, you could demonstrate a few uh, techniques, that, you know, kind of teach us some of the things that you know that are valuable to you in, in, in broadcast engineering, Noah. You bet. That would be fun. All right. Hey, uh, thank you for joining us for This Week in Radio Tech. Uh, tell your friends if you would. And, you know, you've got a whole catalog of 630 shows prior to this one. And it's such a pleasure to uh, to talk to good engineers. In fact, if you know of somebody that we should talk to on the show, or maybe you, maybe you're the one we ought to talk to, let me know. Uh, you can email to me quite easily. You can contact me through the website, This Week in Radio Tech. Dot com. I think I can go ahead and say you could email me at kirk at harnack.com. That's my email address is out there. You can find me on LinkedIn or on Facebook. Uh, and I'd love to hear from you. Give me your ideas on uh, on what we should talk about and who we should talk to about it. Thanks. Uh, big thanks to uh, Chris Tarr and Noah Chalila. And thanks at Loa Chalaya. Sorry. And thanks also to Suncast, producer of this week's show and every week here on This Week in Radio. We'll see you next week.